This Saturday afternoon at 4 is Nat's Prom, the weird Nat-centric party that you never knew that you needed. Come hang out at Walters with all of your social media and real-life Nat's friends while we watch the boys take on the Giants later Saturday night. Walters is showing UFC 264 featuring Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Sunday, we have the Euro Final. Make your weekend plans at Walters now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spino delivers, 0-2, swung on, hit in the air to left, center, deep. Back goes Harrison, way back at the wall, and it is gone! Goodbye! A home run for Kurt Casale. Espino gives up his fifth home run and third to a right-handed hitter, and it's the Giants' three and the Nationals' nothing. The 0-2 pitch to Parra. Fly ball center field, chasing back is Duggar, can't get it, it's down for a hit. He fields it on one bounce, run scores, par to second, sliding in with a game-tying double. 2-1 pitch, swing and a belt, deep left field, way, way, way back and gone, goodbye. A long home run to left center field. Darren Ruff hits his ninth home run of the year, hits the Giants four, the Nationals three. Here it comes. Swinging a ground ball to short. Runner breaks for the plate. The throw home by Crawford. The tag by Casale. And Parr is out. For the second time in the game, Parr is thrown out at home. Once from the outfield, this time from the infield. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, July 10, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the run of ultra late night games for the Nationals on their trip out west is mercifully over. Two more games remain on the trip, but each game a 4.05 p.m. start. You can live with that if you're a Nats fan in the D.C. area. Unfortunately, the Nats late night on Friday night did fall to 2-3 and three on this trip out west. A 5-3 loss at the Major League leading San Francisco Giants game one of a three-game series. That's now 42-45 and 45 on the season. And all of a sudden, down to fourth in the five-team National League East, five and a half games behind the division-leading New York Mets, who on Friday night pummeled the Pittsburgh Pirates 13-4. Before, though, we get into this Nats loss at the Giants on Friday night, let's set up what's happening on what is a very unique installment here of the Nats Chat podcast. So full disclosure, Mark and I tape these shows in separate locations. Mark is usually either at Nationals Park or at his home. I am in my home, my lavish basement studios for which pillows and blankets serve as soundproofing. But sometimes we're on different locations. Last week, for instance, I was uh, down in Beaufort, South Carolina, visiting in-laws. And Mark, 
for this show is up north in the state of Connecticut of having driven through the rain for hours and having listened to the majority of Nats Giants on Friday night. An old school way of taking it a baseball game, Mark. Yes, Al. I got to uh, share my eight-hour drive from Fairfax County to Trumbull, Connecticut with Charlie and Dave on the radio. And let me tell you, that helped make the drive a lot more tolerable because it was not a pleasant drive, beginning with the huge storm that hit in D.C. right as we were going through, of course, to get out of town. Yeah. Coupled with Friday afternoon rush hour, a few other calamities along the way. It felt like the rain just followed us the entire way straight through New Jersey, across the GW Bridge, through New York, and all the way into Connecticut. And uh, I'm going on vacation with family. This is the first time I've been out of town in a year and a half, believe it or not. We're doing a little tour of New England. We're going to be spending Saturday in Rhode Island with some family of my wife's. Then we're going to Boston for a few days. We're actually going to see Red Sox Phillies at Fenway on Sunday, which I'm looking wow. forward to. And then we're going to finish the trip going to Maine because I've never been to Maine in my life. And I want to be able to say I've been there. It'll be my 45th state that I've visited. And I've been waiting a long time to add one more to the list. And so we're going to do that and then head back home. So you're not going to hear me on Saturday or Sunday, sorry to say. But I felt like it was worth it to do this episode and share, you know, what it was like listening to the game. I, I saw a little bit of it. I saw the last couple innings by the time we finally checked in. But most of it, I listened to the uh, descriptions and accounts by Charlie and Dave. And so I'm curious to hear what you saw and how that compares to what I heard. Have you been to Fenway Park before? I've covered many games there. I've never been as a fan and my family has not been there before. So this is going to be experience and I'm trying to explain to them, okay, they've only been to like newer ballparks. They've never been to Wrigley. They've never been to Fenway. I'm trying to explain. This is going to be different. Yeah. It's going to be very different. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a pole in front of us in some capacity, hopefully not in front of the plate or the mound, possibly in between the plate and the mound based on the pictures I've tried to figure out. It's going to be experience. I'm looking forward to it. They're excited about it, but I've warned them. This is not what you're used to watching a ball game in person in 2021. This is going to be taking you back a few decades. Yeah, I've heard some horror stories about the seats at Fenway Park. I mean, it's obviously a historical venue, but it's it's not a uh, lavish setup like you know we're used to, like you said, with all these newer ballparks. But that's great. That's awesome. So I hope you guys have a great time. Well, truth be told, you didn't miss a ton with this game on Friday night. The game, in a lot of ways, is reminiscent of the pre-Kyle Schwarber explosion in June Nationals from a standpoint of what the offense did. Now, the Nats, they only scored three runs, did have a lot of guys on base in the game. Nats finished the game with 11 hits, four walks. And I was surprised by this when I saw it in the box score after the game. Went four of 10 with runners in scoring position. I was expecting that number to be a lot worse. It it wasn't that bad. The Nats, though, did leave 10 men on base. And the final out of the game kind of encapsulated all of this. Josh Bell comes up, runners on first and second, two outs. Nats get a little two-out rally going. Trey Turner a hit, Juan Soto a walk. And Bell grounds out for the final out of the game. And that kind of captured the way things went for the Nationals offensively in this game. Uh, I know you heard some of this, perhaps got to watch some of it. It was a very eventful game for Gerardo Parra, who was the Nationals starting center fielder at number eight batter. Now, he had a couple of hits, and Parra's kind of been scuffling here lately. And we know how it's been with Parra. He's like the anti-Soto this year, where he does all his damage Parra does at home, as opposed to on the road, which is where Soto's done the bulk of his damage. So Parra has, in a three-run Nats fourth, a two-out RBI double to center field on an 0-2 pitch. Great-looking hit, but then gets thrown out by a mile at home on a two-out single by our guy, Paolo Espino, who is threatening John Lester now for the Silver Slugger Award for pitchers in the National League this year. And then Parra in the top of the seventh, leadoff five-pitch walk, 
but gets thrown out at home by a mile on a Trey Turner grounder to the Giants shortstop Brandon Crawford for the second out. And then Para in the top of the eighth, bases loaded one out, grounds into a killer first pitch, 4-6-3 double play. So there was a lot going on with the baby shark on Friday night. Yeah, so the first two I heard, the outs at the plate, the double play I saw, we had checked in at that point. And I'll just tell you that the first out at the plate on the Espino single, the range of emotions that Dave Jagler had calling that play were pretty high because it starts with the shock and excitement of a Palo Espino base hit and potentially bringing home the run and then complete dejection as he realized that Parra was not just out, but out by, in Dave's estimation, 20 feet. The 0-1. Swinging a line drive, center field, base hit. One hop to Duggar, heading for the plate, Parra. The throw home, the tag, and is in plenty of time. Parra goes out in standing. So Espino gets the hit. Bobby Henley sent him, and Parra outs by about 20 feet. Runs right into the tag with no resistance. And I went back and I saw the highlight of it, and it's pretty bad. I mean, that was pretty egregious, and it sounds like, based on what I've seen, that Davey Martinez said after the game, said Bob Henley sent him. So you can put that one on the third base coach, and he's done it before. You know, it's one thing to be aggressive, but it's another just to be careless, and that it sounded to me at least like that was a little bit more on the careless end. Yeah, it certainly looked that way. Now, I want to get back to Henley in a second, but on the one on which Para is thrown at at home on a Trey Turner grounder, in a spot like that where a guy's on third and the ground ball is hit, is that more on Para? You know, just generally speaking, when a guy runs from third to home, is that more on the runner or is in fact some onus on Henley for a play like that? Usually it's not on the third base coach. It has more to do with what is the call leading up to it. Is it a contact play? Are they just running on contact no matter what? Or is it up to the runner to read where the balls hit and then decide whether to go or not? So you tell me, was the infield in? Was he going on contact? It sounds to me like that's more of a par read or he was told no matter what you're going on contact. Yeah. So it did feel like more of a par read. I wanted to check with you on that though. I just didn't know if generally speaking, there was kind of a rule of thumb. So, you know, we saw a few games ago, Starling Castro get thrown out by quite a bit at home. And I wonder sometimes if the nickname Sendley Henley, if that kind of feeds into almost like this character, you know, or or this persona that Bob Henley feels like he has to live up to. I mean, he's been doing this long enough to where you'd like to think egregious outs like the one that Parra made in that three run four don't happen, right? Like it's Gerardo Parra. Okay. It's not, you know, Vince Coleman circa 1985. It's like, you got to know who you're sending. And when a guy gets thrown out by that much, and what was a big inning that could have been even bigger, it's just, it's painful to see. The Nats, they've been an older team for a while. You see Castro get thrown out. You see Parra get thrown out. I mean, we've seen this for years now. There's also this paying off at times too, right? So it's like, you don't want to just complain and whine and cry when Sendley Henley goes wrong because he's gone right many times. But man, something like that, that happened with Parra in that fourth inning, that really shouldn't happen, especially at this point. I mean, Henley's not new to doing this, okay? It's no mystery what you have here in Gerardo Parra. And I don't know, man. I don't know how you excuse that. And I think it's interesting that Davey in the in the post-game press conference does make it pretty clear that was a send by Bob Sendley Henley. Yeah. So, look, I can tell you that in the bigger picture, they are generally very supportive of his aggressive approach and have been for years and years. And their feeling is they would rather force the defense to make a play than be tentative and try to wait for another hit. And sometimes that makes sense. But like you said, there are certain ones that are 
just egregious ones where you say it's not even going to take a good throw. It's just going to take a throw. Just get the ball to the catcher and he's going to be out. And that's what this one looked like to me on the one replay that I saw of it. And on top of it, it's also about knowing the situation. How many outs are there? Who's on deck to come up? If the pitcher's on deck, yeah, you wave him home because the odds of getting that run in after that are pretty slim. But in this case, the hit was by a pitcher. So you've got your leadoff guy, Alcides Escobar, coming up next. So that, to me, feels like a hold him off. Maybe you've got a little bit of a rally going in this inning, and you can complete it with another hit from your leadoff man. So this one seemed to be a little more on the extreme end, but I can tell you that he hasn't had this job as long as he has because they don't like his approach to it. Now, they moved him off third base for one year and put Chip Hale over there. And then once Hale was let go... They decided to move Henley back to third. So, you know, they didn't have to do that. If they did not feel like Bob Henley was a good third base coach, they would not have put him back there. So somebody and even multiple people in positions of authority do think that his aggressive nature pays off more than it hurts them. I think we tend to remember the ones that were egregious like this one. I think you're right. I think it's almost like a quarterback who throws deep a lot, but also throws picks. I mean, kind of like Ryan Fitzpatrick. We'll see what he ends up being for Washington this year. But it's like, Okay, you're willing to take some interceptions with some big plays, but what you want to avoid are like the boneheaded picks where there's no receiver around the guy who ends up making the interception or like, what were you thinking? And that to me was one of those plays from Bob Sendley Henley, where it's just like, it's a pick to a corner who's standing all by his lonesome. And you're like, what were you doing throwing that pass? This is not necessarily a reflection of just the Nats sending runners from third to home, but Fangraphs has this all-encompassing base running metric called base running runs. The Nationals entering games on Friday were just 23rd out of 30 teams in the majors this season in base running runs, one spot behind the Orioles. So it's not been a great base running season overall for the Nationals, and some of these outs at home do play a role in that. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro, Silver Brands Brewing Company. When you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here's the set to 2-1. Barrera hits one to deep left center field, chasing back Duggar on the run, looking up, and it's off the wall. Caroms by him along the warning track into dead center field. Two runs are going to score. Barrera trying for third. The throw in there is too late. And Trace Barrera has his first big league extra base hit and first two runs batted in. A two-run triple for Barrera, and the Nationals now down 3-2. to two. It was interesting, though, with this game because, like I said, I mean, the Nats put guys on base. This was not one of these games in which the Nats, like, did nothing offensively. Nats actually did some things offensively. Bunch of guys had multi-hit nights. Trey Turner had a couple of singles. Juan Soto had a single to go with a walk. Starling Castro continues to rake two for three with two singles and a walk. And how about Tres Barrera? So there is some bad news with this good news. Jan Gomes leaves the game due to hopefully what isn't a major injury, but it is an oblique situation. So, you know, you always kind of close your eyes with those deals. Jan Gomes was again the Nats starting catcher on Friday night. Leaves the game to begin the bottom of the second as he, in the top of the second, felt a pinch in his left oblique while swinging and missing and striking out on four pitches for the first out. If you watch the game, you saw him grimacing while he was swinging. So you could tell something was off. I mean, you didn't know necessarily he was going to leave the game, but he ends up leaving the game. We know the Nats catching situation right now is in the deepest with Alex Avila on the 10-day injured list. And so Tres Pereira comes off the bench, and this was something else. One out, two-run triple off the left center field wall in the Nats three-run fourth with runners at the corners. The two RBI, the first two RBI, of his major league career. And then Barrera added another hit, a one-out single in the top of the eighth inning. Now, the Tres Barrera story is interesting. Six-round pick in 2016. And I know you've written about this. Late July of 2020, suspended was Barrera for testing positive for a PED. Although I know he contends that was a false positive. He actually filed, what, a class action lawsuit and got the suspension trimmed to 60 games. So there's been a lot going on with Tres Barrera over the last 12 months. But a really nice job by him off the bench on Friday night. Yeah, talk about being thrown into the fire and then delivering. Right now, you can make the case, maybe aside from Trey Turner, who can this team least afford to lose? I mean, Jan Gomes is way up high on that list. So good on Tres for stepping up in that situation, the triple, couple of RBI. That was a nice performance. Now, the issue here is, is he going to have to catch the rest of the weekend? And what Davey hinted after the game is that they are bringing another catcher in, that they're going to get somebody out there. Now, they're across country, of course. It's an early game on Saturday. 
They don't have any other catchers on the 40-man roster, so my guess is that it would be Rowdy Reed who was taken off the 40-man. He's been in the big leagues before, but he's not on the 40-man roster, so that's going to require another move to clear a spot for that. Avila is not quite eligible to return yet. He played his last game on July 1st. That's when he played second base and strained both calf muscles in that game. So he cannot return until 12th. So that's not happening. So he can't come back until after the All-Star break. So they're going to have to get through the weekend with Trace Barrera and someone else, like I said, possibly Rowdy Reed, just to get them through this weekend. Now, maybe Gomes is all right. You hope that it's nothing serious. But given the timing and going to the All-Star break, my guess is they would at least give him you know, that week off until they play again when they come out of the break a week from Friday. Yeah, I would not be surprised at all if we don't see Jan Gomes the rest of this weekend. We've talked about these oblique injuries, and I mean, maybe this is an Eric Fetty-like oblique injury where it ends up not keeping him out for long, but anytime you hear oblique, especially with a veteran player like Gomes, you know, a catcher, who a guy who's already getting banged up every game playing the position that he plays, and he's played so much here lately. I mean, so much has been asked of Jan. I would be really surprised if he plays again this weekend. Hopefully it's nothing. We'll see. For those wondering, Yadiel Hernandez was the Nationals' emergency catcher on Friday night. Davey Martinez revealed that after the game. I tell you, Mark, it's been some season for the Nationals just at catcher. I mean, there are all kinds of injury issues swirling with this team right now. But you go back to the COVID situation early in the year where Jonathan Lucroy has to end up being your catcher. You know, now you got Avila on the IL. We'll see what happens with Gomes. But it's been an odd year just at that position to say nothing else of everything else that's happened with the Nats so far this season. Yeah. And you know where Lucroy is right now? He's catching for the Braves in the big leagues. For all the people that said they should have kept him all along. And look, I understand why they didn't. And I think Avila, I, the numbers are don't look great because the batting average is so low. But he reaches base like half of his hits have been for extra bases. He's been good behind the plate. So I think he's been perfectly fine as a number two backup catcher. And Gomes has been excellent as their number one. So the chance to keep Lucroy at that point seemed pretty slim to me. But boy, it'd be nice to have someone like right now because they are potentially up a creek, at least for the weekend and maybe beyond that if... Gomes does have to miss some significant time. Yeah, maybe Jesus Flores is available somewhere. (laughs) Well, our guy was on the mound on Friday night, Paolo Espino, and sadly, Paolo proved to be human for a second consecutive outing. Paolo in this 5-3 loss at the Giants on Friday night, three runs in three and two-thirds innings. This off what happened with Paolo in that 5-3 loss, interestingly enough, final score the same, to the Dodgers at Nationals Park last Saturday night. Three runs in four into third innings. Now, remember, in that Dodgers game, he got pulled from the game after the one-hour, 44-minute rain delay. No such rain delay on Friday night at the Giants. Now, it's not like Paolo really pitched that poorly. I mean, the final line isn't good, I'll grant you that. Uh, he gave up six hits, a homer, and five singles. Only had one strikeout, but he only issued one walk. He threw strikes, 51 strikes versus 22 balls on 73 pitches. And like we noted, he did have a hit, a uh, two-out single and the top of the fourth. So Paolo gave up a run in the bottom of the first leadoff eight-pitch walk of Mike Yastrzemski. You hated to see that. And then a single by Alex Dickerson and then a two-out RBI single by Darren Ruff. But if you watch the game, the two singles were weekly hit singles to left field. So, you know, Paolo wasn't getting smashed in that inning. What bothered you was the homer. Uh, two runs given up, bottom of the second, leadoff single by Donovan Solano, and then a two-run homer by Kurt Casale on a bomb to left field on an 0-2 pitch. Uh, you never want to see that happen. And with the Giants, you know, it's interesting. We just talked about the Nationals catching situation. Buster Posey, who's having a really good season, is out. Casale is off the bench, and he's the Giants starting catcher on Friday night. 
And he ended up having a really nice game for the Giants, but he hits that two-run homer on an 0-2 pitch from Espino, and that was the low point for Paolo in this game. So here's what I'm wondering, because this is he's kind of entering a new phase of the season here where he's now been around for a little while, been in the rotation for a while, and teams start getting a book on him, and he's not fooling anybody necessarily, or, or the, they know what to expect from him. He had faced the Giants already just a month ago. That was the emergency relief appearance when Scherzer had to come out of the game really early. And he did well. Three and a third gave up the one run. That's the game they lost one nothing. So this is the first time he's faced the same team twice in that kind of capacity. He earlier on faced some teams in relief, but it was only like an inning or two at a time. So I wonder the Giants go into this game and they have a book on him. They've already seen him. They maybe know a little bit more about what to expect. Did that help out at all in any way? I don't know if that's true or not, but that is an adjustment that everybody's got to make at some point that, you know, you can come out of the gates and, and surprise everyone and then they start to figure you out and it doesn't take that long for big leaguers to start to get a book on you. And now it's up to you to make the next adjustment. So let's see how he does now as more and more teams start to figure out what he's trying to do. But that was a little bit disappointing. And yet again, another short start. This whole road trip has been filled with short starts and it puts a strain on the bullpen, like we said. And I mean, they're on fumes right now. They're just trying to get through Sunday and give everybody four days off during the all-star break because nobody, not even the ace, Max Scherzer, and not even the secret weapon, Paolo Espino, has been able to give them five, six innings and save the bullpen. Yeah, the secret may be out. We'll see if this continues or not with Paolo. I'd say a couple of things about what you just said there. So Number one, the Giants have become one of the smarter teams in baseball. The Giants have gone all in on analytics. The general manager is this guy, Farhan Zaidi, really smart guy, was with the A's, was with the Dodgers. And the manager is Gabe Kapler, who had been with the Phillies. The Phillies, I think, foolishly fired him, and he's killing it right now with the Giants. So if there is data to be exposed, if there are trends to be capitalized on, the Giants right now, to me, are one of those teams doing that. There's a reason that San Francisco has gone from looking lost. I mean, the Giants looked lost as a franchise just a few years ago. All of a sudden, last season, surprising success, albeit in a 60-game campaign. And now this season, number one team in baseball. I mean, how many people expected that, especially in that division with the Dodgers and the Padres? So if there's some stuff to be looked at with Paolo, I promise you the Giants are looking at it. The other thing with Paolo is, when you are as Paolo is, which is you don't overwhelm people with velocity, it's really all about control and pitch efficiency, that is a, a fine line to walk, and it is hard to have success that way. You've you got to really be on in those other areas when you know your fastball is topping out at, you know I don't know what it does, but what, 90, 91, whatever it is. So it's, I mean, we talked about this with John Lester when he was doing as he was doing, like, you know, putting guys on base. It was cool that he had that ERA under four, but like, how long was that going to last for? I think it's a little different with Paolo, but it's not easy. When you don't strike guys out, it's not easy to continually have success. So hopefully he keeps it going. He can keep it going. I mean, these are only two shaky outings for him. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there's a reason that Paolo Espino was not on the major league roster to begin this season. There's a reason he was summoned from the minors uh, a few months back. It's a credit to him that he's lasted for as long as he has. And you mentioned the bullpen, and this was another game. We've seen so many of these here lately where the bullpen has leaned on a bunch. Davey has to use four relievers. I'd love to know, we should start setting over-unders for numbers of relievers Davey Martinez uses in games because it's never like one or two. It's like four or five these days. Every game, it's four or five guys he has to use. As critical as I was of Davey for using Sam Clay and not Brad Hand, in the ninth inning of the game we shall not mention on this podcast. There is an aspect to me that's like really sympathetic to Davey here right now because it's ridiculous the extent to which he's having to lean on this pen. 
four relievers get used on Friday night, two runs in four and a third innings. There was Sam Clay, the first reliever out of the bullpen, and another bad outing for this guy. One run in one and a third innings, gives up a two-out solo homer to Darren Ruff in the bottom of the fifth. But I tell you what was maybe just as bad as that. Clay comes into the game, issues a hit-by-pitch to the first battery faces, Mike Yastrzemski, you know, loads the bases with two outs in the bottom of the fourth. Now, Clay then gets an out, so it ends up not costing the Nats. But man, just throw strikes, please. He comes into the game, you know, it's it's a fireman situation. I mean, it's questionable that Clay was brought into that spot to begin with, but he hits the guy with a pitch. I mean, you're just like, come on, off what happened the previous night. So a lot of Sam Clay here these days. If he keeps pitching like this, Mark, I don't know how much longer the Nats can have him on the team. Well, at the moment, he's the only other lefty besides Brad Hand, and so he's going to continue to get opportunities to face the lefties in an opposing lineup unless it's the ninth inning, or actually when it is the ninth inning and it's tied and they're on the road, as was the case Thursday night in San Diego. This is why I do feel like one move that they may be a little more aggressive and willing to make in the next few weeks before the trade deadline would be for a lefty reliever, somebody a little more established. You know, they went into the season thinking they were going to have Luis Avilan in that spot. And he wound up unfortunately hurting his elbow and having Tommy John surgery. So that is an area that they could try to improve. I think, you know, Clay is a 28 year old rookie, spent a lot of time in the twins minor league system. The Nats signed him to a big league deal, hoping to catch lightning uh, the way they did with Kyle Finnegan a year ago. At times he's looked good. You know, we know he can induce ground balls, but he's not a finished product right now. And they're asking a lot of him as the only lefty in that bullpen. He's pitching a lot and pitching in situations of consequence. And you mentioned the hit by pitch. It made me remember years ago when things were going really bad for their bullpen back in the day, Frank Robinson decided he was going to start fining pitchers. I want to say $1,000 if they walked the first hitter they faced out of the bullpen because they had a stretch where it seemed like it happened every night. Somebody comes in out of the bullpen, first batter faced, walk. And that was $1,000, according to Frank Robinson. Now, did that actually work or did that make them think about it even more (laughs) to the point they're trying so hard not to walk a batter that they end up walking him? I don't know, but I agree. Those are the ones that kill you. Espino, leadoff, first batter of the game, walk. Clay, first batter out of the bullpen, hit by pitch. That stuff can't happen. You got to make them beat you. Are you allowed to do that? I would think the MLBPA would have something to say about that. (laughs) Finding guys for issuing walks and hit by pitches? That was Frank Robinson. He could do whatever he wanted back then. Yeah. The heck with the Players Association. Kyle McGowan then pitched. He tossed a scoreless sixth inning despite giving up a one-out double to Kurt Casale, on which Josh Harrison made an awkward attempt at a leaping catch on the warning track. The ball went off his glove. Seeing that moment with Harrison made me think about what you made mention of in a recent installment of the podcast. Davey Martinez bringing up the notion of Josh Bell playing some left field. Don't take left field for granted here, okay? I know traditionally just stick your worst outfielder in left. It's still a tricky defensive spot. We have seen bad left field defense plague the Nats in the past. See Jason Worth in his latter years. So I would be careful with that. This Josh Bell left field scenario that Davey brought up unsolicited the other day. Wander Suero, you know, we talk about good Suero, bad Suero. He gave up a run, bottom of the seventh, went out first pitch solo shot by Wilmer Flores for a 5-3 Giants lead. And then Ryan Harper did toss a, a perfect bottom of the eighth inning. So game two at the Giants, Saturday afternoon at 4.05, John Lester, versus Anthony DiSclefani. So here we go again, Mark. We just talked about this. Starters aren't giving the Nats much length. All of you listening right now, raise your hand if you expect length in this game too at the Giants. Now, maybe Lester stuns us all. You would think he's going to be ultra motivated. This is a very competitive guy, very proud guy, a guy who in a number of big spots in his career 
has delivered, but it's clearly not peak John Lester. He has, over his last three starts, given up 17 runs, 14 earned in just 10 and two-thirds innings. So last three starts, he's totaled 10 and two-thirds innings. His ERA for the season is at 534. His whip on the season is at 163. I mean, what should we set the over-under at in terms of relievers used by Davey on Saturday? Six? I mean, what are we looking at here? Oh, boy, I hope not. I think four is probably a safe bet one way or the other, and maybe more than that. Now, I will point out the Giants used seven relievers in this game and won. And they didn't, well, only one of them gave up anything. That was Alvarez, the first one they brought in. Everybody else was pretty good. So it can be done. But we know the Nats are not really designed to do this. They're designed to get longer outings from their starters. You know, with Lester, there's a lot of pressure on him in this one. And in his case, throw strikes. Don't keep nibbling around the zone. Don't get ahead 0-2 and then end up at 3-2 and have a long at bat. Go after them. Make them beat you. If they hit you, so be it. But don't give them free passes. Don't rack up your pitch count to you know 75 in the fourth inning because you're nibbling around the edges of the strike zone. Make them beat you. I don't know if it'll work, but for now, that has to be his approach, I think, because the other way is not working. I mentioned the Giants starter, Anthony DiSclafani. He's having a really good season, 284 ERA over 17 starts. And if you're trying to track, okay, well, how much better are the Nats now as compared to when the team was struggling? Well, this will be an interesting test for the Nationals offense. Now, you are without Kyle Schwarber, yes, but Saturday is July 10th. On June 11th, so nearly one month to the day, the Nationals suffered a one nothing loss to the Giants at Nationals Park in a game that was started by DiSclafani and ended by DiSclafani. He tossed a two-hit shutout with eight strikeouts. That game was the Nats' eighth shutout loss in 59 games on the season. The Nats were pathetic offensively in that game. One run on two hits and one walk. So, you know, not that one game is like the end-all be-all here, but I think it is going to be kind of an interesting test for, all right, is this offense in an appreciably better place today as compared to a month ago when things weren't going so well? I think they are. I mean, they haven't really had those just, you know, lifeless nights at the plate. This was about as bad of one as they've had in a while. And like you said, you still ended up with, what, 11 hits and a bunch of base runners. So I do think they have come a long way since then. Now, they still have to deliver in the big spots and, you know, you get runners in scoring position, bases loaded, all that. You got to convert on them. But I'd be surprised if DiSclefani has another start like that one where he's going the distance and shutting him out and they're only putting a handful of runners on base all night. They've come a long way since then. Bell's hitting a lot better. Castro's hitting a lot better. Now, again, you maybe have lost Gomes. You probably have lost Gomes for that game. So that's a fairly decent bat in the middle of your lineup that you're losing. And I assume Robles is going to be back in after Parra started this one. So that's as we know, not their best hitter, batting eighth for them. So the top five guys, I'm going to say in the lineup, Escobar, Turner, Soto, Bell, Castro, that's where the pressure's on those five, I would say, to get something done, especially when they get runners on base. All right, my friend. Well, enjoy your time up north. You know, you, me, Tim Shovers, we have bonded over these last few nights, working late nights here on the NatSat podcast. Sadly, the run of late night games ends here, but I, I think we're kind of ready for that. We are definitely ready for the end of the late night game. Yeah. And I think the Nats probably are as well. I think, I think so too. So enjoy your vacation. Enjoy your all-star break. We will reconvene for the first series post the all-star break. Hopefully the Nats will be healthier and uh, going to be a very interesting final few months of the season. Nats have done a nice job getting themselves back into a position here in which, hey, you know what? The season is on and we'll see where it ends up taking us. 
I think those first two weeks coming out of the break are going to be everything. Schedule eases up, trade deadline approaching. That's going to be make or break as far as what the rest of the season is going to look like. So hope you enjoy your break, Tim. I hope you enjoy your break too. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Excellent. All right. Mark Zuckerman will be with us. You can always tweet us what you think, what you want at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Want to remind you about something that we've been telling you about on Saturday at four is the Nats prom going to be taking place at Walters, which we tell you about on every installment of the Nats Chat podcast. Walters, the official hangout spot for the Nats Chat podcast. This is going to be a ton of fun. Hang out at Walters with all of your social media and real life Nationals friends. You can watch Nats Giants Saturday afternoon and understand, stay at Walters into the night because late night Saturday night, Walters is showing UFC 264. And if you're a UFC fan, even if you're not, Conor McGregor is fighting. So that's going to be a ton of fun. Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. So huge Saturday at Walters in D.C., right by Nationals Park. And by the way, on Sunday, you have the Euro Finals. You can watch that at Walters as well. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A continued thank you to all of you for downloading the podcast, subscribing to the podcast. If you have like, you know, 30 seconds, if you could please just give the podcast a five-star rating and just write like a one-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast. It does help us out a lot. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. The 1-1 and Zimmerman rips one into the left field corner. Worth around third, heading home, throw to the plate is in time. Worth tagged out to end the inning. Tell you what, Toll's got the ball in, but I love how Seager took his time to deliver the throw.